Good afternoon. It's top of the hour here, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome, everyone, to YSI's webinar. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Shannon Miller, and I'll be moderating and presenting today is Ben Barker, our very knowledgeable application engineer who has over five years of experience with online analytical instrumentation. Today, Ben will talk, be talking about best practices for maintenance of IQ SensorNet dissolved oxygen, pH and ORP, and ammonium and nitrate sensors. He'll also be performing live hands-on demonstrations of maintenance procedures. This is part one of our new webinar series, How to Get Optimal Data with Online Instrumentation. So stay tuned for part two in early 2023. Just a couple of things before we get started. This webinar is eligible for CEUs through the IACET, and we'll provide more information on how to get those in a post-webinar email. We'll be taking questions throughout the webinar, so feel free to use the Q&A or the chat boxes in Zoom, and we'll answer those live. And lastly, this webinar is being recorded and the recording will be available to watch on demand in a few days. There will also be a link to that in the post-webinar email. And with that, we'll go ahead and kick off the presentation and I'll turn it over to Ben to get started. All right, hi guys. Uh, so just as Shannon said, uh, my name is Ben Barker and I'm the applications engineer for YSI. Um, ever since I've started working here over six years or over five years ago, uh, I've been working uh, training operators, uh, going out into the field and working with our sensors, maintaining them, doing service on them, uh, and also doing a lot of tech support over the phone. Uh, that's where I started at YSI. Um, and I still do a lot of tech support now, of course, uh, helping customers as often as I can. Um, so I have a lot of experience in uh, working with these sensors and doing all of the procedures that we're going to be doing today. Um, so what we're going to be learning today is we're going to learn the best uh, practices for maintaining the uh, for maintaining the sensors um, that we have here. Uh, first, starting off with the FDO dissolved oxygen sensor, the Sensolit, which is for pH or ORP, and then finally the Varian amylit or nitrolit, which is our ISC sensor for uh, ammonium and nitrate. So first off, I want to give you a little introduction on why we need to maintain these sensors, uh, specifically a little bit in wastewater, because wastewater is our primary, uh, is the primary application for these. And this, these sensors were designed specifically for wastewater. So we wanted them to be as robust as possible. Um, so first off, wastewater, as you guys would know, is a very difficult place for these, what we, what I would consider a highly scientific piece of equipment to be running continuously 24 seven. So as with anything that you have like in your home, um, you need to continually maintain these things for them to be running as perfectly as you want them to be. Um, so what causes sensors to foul? Well, in wastewater, there's a lot of different things that are coming in from wastewater that might be difficult on your sensors. Uh, the first one or first one is uh, physical objects, uh, if, depending on the certain uh, place in the process or how good your head works is. Um, you might have like hair or rags or uh, branches or literally anything that goes down the drain could be hitting the sensor face and causing damage or um, causing issues. Uh, the next thing would, could be like fog, so uh, fats, oils, and greases. Um, particularly, uh, fog is very difficult on sensors because they like to coat the um, the measuring they like to coat the uh, measuring surface of our sensors. So that's a really difficult one as well. And then finally. Uh, activated solids. So if you're in the activated sludge portion of the uh, of the 
a wastewater treatment plant, that is actually the main application for most of our sensors anyways. Those solids, depending on the, depending on the type of solids, depending on the type of water, um, some solids actually uh, can cover the face of the sensor very, very well. But of course, it depends on the type of water because some other types of solids, you know, don't even touch or don't even grow on the sensor uh, at all. So it's it kind of very much depends on the type of water that you might have at your at your facility. Um, another thing that might be dangerous to your sensor um, is chemicals. So we dose a lot of chemicals into the wastewater process in order to do certain things, uh, such as uh, get rid of uh, or coagulants to uh, help our solids to uh, settle, um, alum or ferric to bind to orthophosphate to bring that out of the dissolved water, uh, and then chlorine to disinfect. So things like that, depending if your sensor is close to where those are being dosed or even uh, just downstream, um, depending, it might be damaging to the sensor or in particular for coagulants, if you have a lot of uh, a ferric or alum or anything that's going to, uh, to create more solids, that is often something very sticky to the sensor, and that will cover up the face of your sensor very quickly. And then the last thing to talk about for wastewater is that different parts of the process uh, can uh, affect, a affect the sensors differently. So for instance, starting at the influent, you're going to have a lot of things in that process or in the, in the water, incoming water, that could be damaging to your sensors. So things like, uh, Things like branches, things like uh, rags, things like uh, um, even like highly acidic or highly basic uh, um, uh, solutions that could be dumped from a manufacturing facility. Um, at that part of the process, that sensor is um, that sensor is uh, there uh, in that type of water that could be under that could um, it, it is subjected to uh, those types of things in the water. In the activated sludge portion of the process, you at least get rid of most of those, uh, those bigger objects with your headworks. Um, but in the activated sludge portion, again, you will have a lot of solids in that process because we're trying to grow solids so that we can have a, uh, our microbial bacteria, or bacteria to remove things like BOD uh, and nutrients. And in the activated sludge portion, it really depends on the, uh, it really depends on the type of solids that are in there. Um, oftentimes that the activated sludge portion of that of the uh, of the wastewater process can uh, can coat the sensors really quickly. Uh, but in other parts of the pro or in other processes or other other uh, wastewater facilities, uh, sometimes the solids in the activated sludge uh, portion uh, they do not they or they do not uh, cover the face at all. So it really just depends uh, on the process in the activated sludge. And then finally, the effluent, once we get past our secondary clarifiers, um, we have our, what could, could be our tertiary filtration, it could be our UV disinfection. Um, at the effluent, the water's so clean and uh, often doesn't have as many solids at that portion. So you won't have to clean your sensor as much, usually at the effluent of, wastewater, of a wastewater treatment plant. Uh, oftentimes, you'll want to make sure that uh, things like uh, calcium deposits and things like uh, a biological growth, so like algae. Um, at that portion of the process, you can get a lot of that that can then coat your sensor. So it really depends on the part of the process um, of where you might see these issues or where you might see these uh, different things that affect your sensors. So what can we do about this? Well, uh, what can be done? 
Well, we have many clean, cleaning procedures in the, um, in the manuals that we give with the sensors. Um, we have a lot of automated cleaning options that try to extend the time between cleanings. Um, and then we have recommended pro uh, proactive uh, preventative maintenance procedures that can help you make sure that, they are, uh, that your sensors stay clean. So with manual cleaning, um, one thing that I always say is that even if you have automated cleaning, even if you're at the effluent, you will always have to manually clean your sensors. And the things that just depend on how often you have to manually clean that is where it is in the process, like I just said, the type of sensor, um, some sensors require a little bit more uh, cleaning than others do. And of course, the type of automated cleaning system that you have on your sensor. So if you have an automated cleaning system that has, for instance, uh, a compressed air, compressed air blows a jet of air across the measuring surface to keep it cleaner for longer. Um, or we have ultrasonic cleaning, which is actually not on any of our sensors today, um, but it is a vibration that occurs on the sensor face that shakes off any type of growth that's trying to occur on the sensor. And then finally, uh, lots of sensors have wiper systems. So a wiper that goes across the sensor face to, uh, to take off any solids that are actually, uh, that are on the sensor face. So those are things that we help uh, extend the time between manual cleanings, but in general, every sensor, especially in wastewater, will need to be manually cleaned at some time or another. And as I go through these sensors, I'll be telling you guys what the general uh, what the general recommendation is for these uh, sensors to be cleaned. But it all depends on first off where they, again where the sensor is in the process um, and in uh, the type of sensor. Uh, but this is a general recommendation. It could either be, you know, every seven days is what works for your sensor, or it could be every six months is what good for your sensor. So these are just a generally good starting point is, are the ones that I'm going to suggest to you guys. And before we get into the sensors, there's one last point I, I would like to make about uh, cleaning in general, and that is to be proactive with your cleaning rather than reactive with your cleaning. When you are proactive with your cleaning, you're cleaning at a, uh, you're following a recommended service uh, routine or a, a preventative maintenance schedule in which you might be cleaning every two weeks. You have somebody that pulls up the sensor, wipes it off, puts it back in the water um, every two weeks or every week. In that case, you are uh, staying ahead of the cleaning, meaning that you are not allowing things to build up enough to where that sensor stops measuring correctly. If you are waiting for the sensor to uh, stop measuring correctly in a reactive situation, uh, to the cleaning, that means that there's a period of time where you're actually not getting accurate data, and that could be a huge issue for uh, for your or for your process, especially if that sensor is controlling something like aeration or uh, dosing of chemicals. So um, just keep that in mind. Uh, preventative maintenance schedule, uh, preventative maintenance schedules, being proactive is the uh, is the way to go to make sure that your online sensor is uh, providing good data. 24-7. So that means all the time. All right. So we're actually going to get into our first sensor now. Um, and uh, as we do that, I want to mention that um, throughout this entire webinar, uh, please type in your questions. And as we go through, if we do get questions, uh, Shannon will raise her hand to me. And then when, when I get the chance, I'll have her say the question and we'll get them answered as soon as possible. So please, uh, whenever you get the chance, or if you have a question, please do not hesitate to ask. It, ask. All right. All right, cool. 
So first off is our dissolved oxygen sensor. This is the FDO 700 IQ or for our IQ sensor net system. Um, every sensor that we have has some common parts to it. The first one is the cable itself. Um, the cable itself is actually really cool. Uh, different, different than our usual, uh, or different than a usual sensor like this, in that each cable is detachable from the actual sensor itself. So we can actually connect any cable to any IQ sensor net sensor. And the benefit of that is that you can actually mix and, mix and match sensors. You can get, uh, you can take uh, cables, uh, you can take new cables in case it breaks. Um, but in this case, I'm gonna show you guys how to put this on really quickly, just fits on there and then you just tighten it up and it'll automatically recognize that sensor on your controller. So besides the cable, we actually also have the sensor armature so the sensor armature is where the main measuring portion takes place. Um, it's all the all the uh, all the um, the boards and everything that uh, it needs to make the measurement. We have a probe guard in most cases. This probe guard is designed to keep uh, things like things like uh, rags and other things from actually da damaging the sensor face. And then, of course, most sensors will have some type of uh, consumable part. In this case, we have a sensor cap here, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Okay, so first off, cleaning an FDO sensor. Um, I recommend cleaning an FDO sensor about every two to four weeks. Um, of course, again, that depends on uh, the a certain part of the process, but that's a good place to start. And that, then if you determine that it's not uh, often enough, you can reduce that down to like seven days. If you notice that it's staying perfectly clean, then you can extend that out to maybe every two months, but two to four weeks is a good starting point. So cleaning an FDO sensor is very, very easy. The main thing you really wanna uh, worry about is the actual face of the measurement or the, uh, the measurement, uh, the face of the sensor itself. Um, so uh, to do that, all the, the only thing that you really need for this is a cloth, some water. And in this case, I'm just gonna use tap water. And then uh, all I'm gonna do is I'm going to take the, the cloth, dip it in that watt, dip it in some water. And then I'm going to just lightly take my moist cloth and clean off whatever is on the actual measuring surface of the sensor. Now for the, the rest of the sensor, there's going to be likely solids on the rest of the sensor too. So I would prefer just to wipe off the rest of the sensor as well to get off any solids that's building on there, just because it's, doesn't necessarily actually affect the measurement of the sensor, but it does make it look good, uh, does make it look nice and clean. Um, okay, so one thing to note about cleaning one of these sensors or one of the FDO sensors is to not use hard brushes. This uh, the measuring surface of the sensor caps are uh, pretty delicate, and if you use a hard bristle brush, that could scratch the the measuring surface and bring off some of the uh, some of the, uh, the layers on top of it. And that will disrupt your measurement and ruin the cap. Um, actually, this is a very, uh, this is a cap itself that has actually been damaged a very similar way. You can actually see the re green light that you shouldn't be able to see. All right, so another thing is that this alcohol or the uh, actual measurement surface here, um, this is a, uh, this can be dissolved in alcohol or any really any organic solvent. So please do not clean this with like or isopropyl alcohol or anything like that, is it might uh, dissolve the actual surface of the sensor cap. 
um, which is obviously going to damage the cap itself. It's also why you can't use these in the wine or beer industry as well. All right, so um, so cleaning every two to four weeks. Uh, the next thing um, is consumables. So when I say consumables, I say or I'm I'm telling you uh, things on the sensor that need to be routinely routinely replaced. In the case of the FDO sensor, that is the sensor cap that we have at the end here. Um, it lasts from two to five years, of course, depending on how it's cared for. Um, and it's actually warranty for two years. So it can actually last quite a long time um, uh, just by itself. Um, so how do we store this? Well, this is actually comes in a, in a, in a small case, but these, are, uh, these don't have a lifespan to it until you put it on the cap or put it on the actual face of the sensor. So you can actually keep spares of these. So if you have a lot of FDO sensors at your facility, I would recommend uh, uh, I would recommend to have several of these as backup. So if you have a problem, you can just pop it off and pop on a new one. So replacing these is also very easy. Um, I have a ring that actually holds the sensor cap down onto the FDO cap. So I'm just gonna unscrew that here real quick. Take the ring off, take our sensor cap right off, just uh, pops off really easily. And now I'm going to uh, place the replacement cap on here. Um, there's really two main things that we have that we need. Um, there's a guiding pin to make sure that it's aligned correctly. And then there's a actual, there's a chip on the, within the sensor cap itself. And what that does is it actually has the factory calibration of the specific sensor cap, you know, like the coefficients um, that you would on like another optical sensor. Um, but when I place this sensor cap onto the DO sensor, it's going to automatically upload that factory calibration into the controller. And you'll, it will uh, automatically start measuring right away. So there's no like coefficients that you have to put in um, in replacing this. So I just place that on there, I screw that in, and then we're good to go. So the nicest thing about these dissolved oxygen sensors is that they are uh, this uh, this technology has come such a far a long way with the reference paths of the light uh, and all these uh, in the types of light that you use. And I'm not going to get into that today. Um, but there's no calibration that is ever needed for this sensor. So we actually, when we do demonstrations, when we do uh, when we uh, do on-site trainings for operators that have purchased one of these, we tell them to not uh, to not calibrate the sensor. That is likely a uh, that is likely a um, uh, it's probably something else that's going on with the sensor instead, or the process of the water as well. And I see that we have a question, so I'm going to pop over to Shannon and see what we got. Thanks, Ben. Uh, we have a question here. If they shelve or store spares, uh, when does the warranty start? Is it when you put the cap in service or from the time of purchase? So the warranty is, can you guys hear me? Okay. The warranty is from the time of purchase. So um, likely, again, I wouldn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't worry about that necessarily because you, if they, if they're lasting a long time, you will, and you put on this new cap, say it's like a year and a half old, that new cap should still last like over two years, maybe up to three to five years. Um, so although it's it it does start when you purchase the equipment, um, that is something to consider. Uh, but yeah, it shouldn't be necessarily a big deal anyways. So, all right. Okay, on to our next sensor. 
uh, the pH and ORP sensor. Let me set up here really quickly. Okay, <clears throat> so um, this is the Sensolit. This is a pH or ORP sensor. Um, I, as I uh, taught you with the DO sensor, we have a cable that goes to our controller. We have the uh, sensor connection to where we connect the cable to the armature of the sensor. And then in this case, we have a, uh, we have a very important probe guard on this one. This is the only one that's really uh, essential to the process or essential to the sensor itself. So let me screw this off really quickly. Um, first off, this does block, this does protect the very delicate uh, pH glass, um, but it also serves the important purpose of actually holding the electrode in there. Uh, whereas this, uh, as where the FDO and the uh, varian electrodes, uh, they screw in, this is actually just held on by the probe guard. So the probe guard is very important. Let's place that back. And of course, we have the electrode itself. So I have a, uh, right now I have a pH electrode in there now. If I wanted to make this an ORP electrode, I would literally just purchase an ORP electrode, um, take out the pH electrode, put in an ORP electrode, and then there's just some configuring on the controller. And I'll show you how to guys how to do that here in a second. Okay, so uh, first off, uh, cleaning, for the, cleaning for this sensor. Um, again, I recommend every two to four weeks uh, with a either a moist cloth or a soft brush. So again, when I said uh, when I said the uh, the sensor is a or the the electrode is a very delicate uh, piece of equipment. Ah, dang. Um, it is a glass bulb, so you have to be very delicate with the actual glass bulb itself. Um, so if I can actually lower this, this is the way to go. I'll, I'll demonstrate for you guys. Um, first off, uh, always remember to take off the actual, the probe guard or, or the cover. Um, this is just to protect it during shipping or for storage. Um, but in uh, many cases, this can actually, uh, um, I have seen in certain instances where customers may have forgotten to take that off and wondering why their pH wasn't uh, reading correctly. All right, so for cleaning, uh, I'm just going to either uh, take some process water or even just a spray bottle like this. And I'm just going to spray off first off the side of the sensors, clean that with a rag like the other sensor. And then for the actual sensor itself or the actual electrode itself, that's when I want to make sure that I get clean. So I'm going to take my, uh, my water here and spray directly on the electrode. Get it as clean as possible. I'll take my brush or my cloth and brush any solids that are on the sides of the electrode. And it might make it easier to actually take off the probe guard here. So I'm gonna do that real quickly. And so you guys can see better. All right, so I can just brush all along the outsides of this electrode to make sure that is, that is completely free from solids. Or I can use this. Give it another spray, and then I can place it back in the water after I replace my probe guard. Uh, one thing I did want to mention uh, that with electrodes like this, an ORP electrode, a pH electrode, a uh, ammonium or nitrate electrode for the ISEs, uh, they cannot dry out. So whenever you are storing one of the electrodes, make sure that you have a cap on it 
or it's properly stored with some type of solution to keep the membranes or the glass bulb, um, the glass bulb, uh, um, uh, to keep it solid or keep it dry or keep it moist. Sorry. All right, and we have another question from Shannon, so we're gonna go uh, over to that. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Brent asks, I've never seen such a large pH ORP sensor. Is there a reason for its larger size? Um, I think the uh, the actual electrode, it, it's probably because of the, um, the actual armature is probably just so it fits, so it matches the size of the other sensors. Um, having a standard size of sensors allows us to have all the same mounting equipment. So that's why this is all pretty much the same. Um, the actual electrode itself, uh, I would imagine that a, they want a larger electrode uh, to make sure that they have that connection or that electrical electromagnetic connection um, between the electrolyte solution and the, the, like, the cathodes in there. So um, so yeah, that's, that's probably the reasons there. Okay, so um, cleaning. Um, one last thing to know about cleaning with a uh, pH electrode or ORP electrode is to never store or clean the electrode with DI water. And that goes for the, uh, the other electrodes as well, the ammonium and nitrate ISE electrodes. DI water has no ions in it. So that means if the, uh, the electrolyte solution that is actually inside of the electrode will be sucked out by the water and will actually, dis uh, it'll basically kill the sensor um, because there is no electrolyte solution to create that uh, millivolt signal that it needs to actually measure. Okay, so the consumables we have is obviously the pH electrode, and I'll show you how to replace that in a second. Um, it generally lasts between 12 to 18 months in service, and it does have a lifespan of about 12, uh, of about 18 months. So that means when I said uh, you could keep spares of the FDO cap, you should not keep spares of these electrodes. I would recommend to just order them, uh, order them every about every 12 months and then do a replacement every 12 months. That would be my suggestion. Um, more than likely, if you order uh, two electrodes at once and one is a backup, that the other one is likely going to be, um, it's likely going to be almost dead by the time that you actually go to use it. All right. So uh, with that said, we're actually going to now calibrate our pH sensor. So in order to calibrate our pH sensor, we have our two buffers ready. Um, I do want to uh, note that uh, Fresh buffers is very important. Um, oftentimes uh, you will have a, our containers are over there uh, of our seven and 10 buffer. Um, they have an expiration date on there and the expiration date is good for when it, until it's open. Um, it might be a year or two down the road. However, when you do open your buffers, that, uh, that life is accelerated. So that means you probably only, after you open them, you probably only have a couple months that you can actually use these, those buffers. And it appears that we have another question. So go ahead, Shannon. Thanks, Ben. Uh, to clean pH sensor or to clean pH sensors, can we rinse with deionized water? Uh, with what kind of sensors? Sorry. Oh. pH sensors. Okay. The sensor. Okay. So um, I would rinsing with DI water, like just rinsing, um, really probably isn't that big of a deal. Uh, it'll probably work fine if you're just rinsing, but you definitely do not want to store it or have it long-term in DI water. Like I said before, DI water doesn't have any ions. It's going to suck out the electrolyte solution uh, within the actual electrode itself. Um, 
the rinse, the reason why I say no DI water at all is so nobody really gets confused on to whether to use DI water for storing or for rinsing. I just say don't use DI water and that usually covers it up. Okay, so to calibrate this sensor, I'm going to, of course, I have my buffers. Um, I need to remove the sensor from the process. I should clean it first, and then I can uh, put it into a solution of seven buffer. Um, and then we're going to, uh, uh, before I go over to the controller, I do want to mention that uh, calibration for these sensors, um, they should, for Sensolit sensors, should be done about one, every one to three months. Um, it's very dependent on the process, but uh, I've seen a lot of uh, calibrations hold very well, you know, up to three months, even six months. But I would still recommend to pull it out and calibrate it about every one to three months. Okay, so starting our calibration, I submerge my sensor into my first buffer, which is going to be seven in this case. And I'm going to go over to my controller to start the calibration. So here we have our, uh, our screen. Um, I have my uh, highlighted on uh, my pH reading. And I'm going to uh, press the C button, which is our calibrate button, to start the calibration. So I'll press C. It's going to tell us that our, uh, it's in maintenance condition. And basically what that means is if I have any outputs that are going to like my SCADA system or anything like that, I, that, that output is frozen, which is good. <laughs> so I'm going to press continue. And it says to have any two technical buffer solutions ready. I have my 7 and 10. Continue. And it basically just walks me through exactly what I need to do. First, rinse the sensor. I already did that. Um, immerse the sensor in the first buffer solution. I already did that. And now it's going to tell me to wait for a stable measured value. Continue. So now it's going to get a, an electropotential. So what's the actual millivolt reading that it gets when it's immersed in that buffer solution? And it should only take a few, uh, a minute or two, um, or not even a minute or two, it should take about 30 seconds. <laughs> And it appears that Shannon has a question. So we'll go ahead and answer that as I go, as I switch this over to a seven and 10 buffer solution. Go ahead. Uh, ben, are these electrodes free hanging or put inside a pipe and how far below the pipe if so? Okay, so that's a very good question. Um, we have all of the options that you just mentioned. Um, so the, usually the typical one is that if you're in a, in a basin, um, say you're in like a, uh, a basin or a channel and you have a railing on it, we'll have a mount that allows you to, um, that allows you to uh, either use a PVC pipe to go directly uh, with the sensor at the end to go immerse the sensor into the basin or the channel. Or we can have a swing arm that actually, um, that actually uh, puts the sensor at the end of a chain that drops down into the water. Um, we do have those two options for basin and channel purposes. We also have uh, in-pipe mounting as well. Uh, we we can do either pressurized or non-pressurized, and we can also do PVC or like steel types of setups. Um, in most uh, in most cases, it's immersion into a basin, uh, but we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of um, a lot of in pipe mounting as well. All right, good question. And so, continuing with our calibration, uh, I'm going to switch over to my ten buffer now, and as I as it says on the screen. Rinse my sensor. So I'm going to skin us rinse that really quickly. Oops. Switch over to my 10 buffer. 
and then drop back down the water. All right, now I'm gonna go back to my controller and press continue. Now it's gonna get a millivolt value um, in the pH of, of 10, um, which usually it looks about like a negative 70 to uh, about negative 70. So this is actually looking like a really good calibration. Any minute now. <laughs> All right, we have another question from Shannon. Uh, what value should we expect for the seven and 10 buffer solutions? Uh, that is a great question. Um, so the seven buffer is usually gonna be around zero. The 10 buffer is usually gonna be around negative 170 millivolts. And the four buffer, if you use a four buffer, would be around positive 170 millivolts. So basically we're looking at the, it says successfully calibrated, um, the slope, which is basically the, the change in millivolts per pH, uh, per the pH scale. So going from like um, seven pH to eight pH, um, anything that's around negative 59 is perfect. So we're like basically right on there. Um, so this was a successful calibration. So I'm gonna press continue. After the calibration, submerge sensor back in the sample. So we're gonna put it back on, on the mount and in the water. And then when measured value is uh, displayed, wait for stable value, continue. And of course, switch off maintenance condition. In IQ SensorNet, it shows it's in maintenance condition by this showing a flashing uh, value here. Uh, to change that, I'm going to, or to turn it off, I'm going to highlight it, press okay, and go to switch maintenance condition on off and continue. And now I press the M button to take me back to my main screen. And there we have it. All right, so now we're going to uh, head on over to, or not head on over to, we're gonna switch to uh, the ORP uh, electrode for the sense, or for the sensolit. So to do that, obviously I told you that this is the, uh, the same sensor, but different electrodes are used to either measure pH or, or ORP. So I'm just gonna prepare this sensor really quickly to put in, uh, take out the pH electrode and put in a ORP electrode, which will also be a good lesson in, um, in how to change the electrode on a, uh, on a sensolit uh, sensor. All right. All right, so I gotta take this off the mount really quickly. All right. Okay, so, to change an electrode on this, on the sensolit, I'm just gonna unscrew the uh, probe guard here. And the nice thing about this is that this was this uh, probe guard was designed to basically be a tool to pry out the electrode from, um, uh, from the actual armature of the sensor. So there really is no tools required to replace these electrodes, which is super, super nice. So I just fit the electrode into this little fork here, I pry it up, and now I can pull out the electrode like that. Um, so, so now the electrode is from the red part up 
And this is a cable that attaches the electrode to the actual, uh, um, to the board that's within the armature. So to take this off, a special, uh, a special trick for people that are doing this, um, always turn the electrode rather than the, uh, the, the bulkhead of the cable, because we don't want this little cable bulkhead or the connection here to break. And that would just mean we'd have to send it into repair to get it fixed. So I hold the bulkhead and I unscrew the electrode from it. There you go. Now I'm gonna take my pH electrode or my ORP electrode, sorry. And when I replace electrodes on here or on this sensor, you'll notice that there is two, um, there's two O-rings on here. And basically when I submerge this into, a, into the water, there's no screw like you would with another sensor. Um, so it needs these two electrodes to be watertight to make sure that the inside of the sensor doesn't get flooded. Uh, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take what is included with the electrode, a very, very small packet of silicone grease. I'm gonna open that up, take just a tiny dab. Um, they actually provide you with way too much um, for this particular purpose. So I'm going to take, again, a little tiny dab just that much. And I'm going to smear it just to create the create a shine along the ORP electrode or along the, uh, the O-rings on the electrode. And the reason I say that, because um, I've had um, just the shine, uh, that's what I've learned in like other industries as well. Um, but this particular, uh, um, I, with this particular pack, I've noticed that uh, sometimes an operator might feel like he needs to use the whole thing so it just globs it up and that's really, really unnecessary and also really messy. So to replace this back on, again, hold the bulkhead still. I'm gonna screw this ORP electrode down onto the bulkhead. And then I just push it, push it into the sensor like that. And then I take my probe guard. Again, it's very important because it keeps the probe guard or the sensor held in there. And then I'll just close this down. And then of course, I wanna make sure that I remember to take off my probe cover, my electrode cover, if I can. There we go. Place her back in here. Alrighty. So with ORP, um, it's the exact same parts, obviously, as the other sensor, uh, as the, uh, or, or the pH sensor, um, except we have a different electrode in it now. Um, it is, uh, as far as cleaning goes, it is the exact same as the pH sensor as well. I recommend every two to four weeks. Um, and of course, it depends on the process of the water. As for the consumables, the electrode itself, again, the exact same, the exact same as the other electrode, we expect it to last between 12 to 18 months. Um, it warranties for six months. Um, but yeah, we, I would still recommend to replace it about every, um, <clears throat> to replace it about every, uh, every year to make sure that it is staying, um, that it is a good working electrode. And so with a ORP calibration, which we're gonna do next, is what we need is a, what we call a Zobel solution. So Zobel's solution is basically a um, ORP standard. And it usually comes with, especially if you get it from YSI, uh, a little, um, 
uh, a little container that has dry liquid in it, or uh, sorry, not dry liquid, uh, dry crystals in it. You add DI water to what it says on the, um, on the bottle, you mix it up, and then boom, you have your solution. So with this, um, ORP solution um, has a particular um, uh, has a particular value to it. It's not like you know 100 mill or 100 um, millivolts or anything like that. Um, and it also depends on temperature. So with the uh, with the uh, there's usually a uh, sorry I'm trying to think that with the manual that comes with it, it'll tell you uh, what the particular value of the Zobel solution is going to be in millivolts at this particular temperature that you're at. So you have to look on a little chart to figure it. Um, at our temperature right now, that's gonna be 232 millivolts. So um, when, I take my, um, when I take my Zobel solution, I'm going to immerse it into the, my little thing here. Just like that. And we're gonna go first off, what I didn't do uh, is I didn't switch the electrode or I didn't tell the sensor that it's an ORP electrode yet. So we're gonna do that first before we even do the calibration. Um, so going over to my controller, you can see here that th that sensor still thinks it's a pH sensor. So in order to switch it over to an ORP sensor, I'm going to highlight the pH sensor, um, press the S button, this is for settings. I'm gonna go into settings of sensors and diff sensors. Press OK. I'm going to highlight the right hand column. Press OK. I'm going to highlight my pH sensor. Press OK. And then at the very top, we have our measuring mode. And that right now it's at pH, but I'm just going to switch it to millivolts. And that's what ORP measures in. And then we'll always make sure to press save and quit. All right, so ORP. We'll go back to the main screen. Now we're reading 235 millivolts of ORP. So um, doing, continuing on with the calibration, um, the ORP is a, uh, the calibration for an ORP is a, called a shift or an OR, ORP shift is what we call it. So we can see here that in the Zobel solution that it is reading 235. We notice that if we go to, or we know from our packaging on the Zobels, uh, the, uh, the, the, the bottle of Zobels, that it is 232. So we just need to input a shift of negative three into the settings of the sensor to calibrate it. So I'm going to, again, go and press the S button. Settings of sensors and diff sensors, press OK. I'm going to highlight the right-hand column, press OK. Select my ORP sensor, press OK, press continue. So here we have our ORP shift, and I'm at zero millivolts, meaning that it's not calibrated at all. Um, I need my measured value on here to read three millivolts less. So I'm going to input a value of negative three. OK. Now, if I press save and quit, it should go to press M, 232. So we're now smack dab on and our calibration for the ORP solution is complete. All right, so uh, we are going to move on to our last sensor of the day, the ion selective electrode sensors. That would be the Varian, uh, which can measure both ammonium and nitrate, the, uh, the AMOLIT, which just measures ammonium, 
and then the nitrolit, which just measures nitrate. All right, get that out of the way. Put my probe guard back on. Oop, that was a mistake. <clears throat> Put my Zobel solution away. And then get out my variant sensor. Okay, so again, with our sensors, uh, we have um, very common parts. Um, as with the other ones, we have our cable. We have our cable bulkhead, which connects to our armature. And then in this particular sensor, we have several electrode electrodes here. Um, each one of those does different things. Um, and uh, we actually have three of them here today. We have a reference electrode, which is this long one right here. We have a ammonium electrode, which I haven't put in yet. And then I already put it in there, but it's a potassium electrode. So we have our reference electrode. Um, what that does is it provides a reference for of millivolts for the other um, for the other uh, for the other electrodes to see what their millivolts are at. So it basically just outputs a stable reference value or a stable millivolt value. Then we have our measuring electrode. It has a membrane that is. Let me pull it out. It has a membrane that is um, that is permeable to only ammonium ions. So it's going to uh, be in contact with the water, and then it's only going to allow uh, ammonium ions through that membrane, and it's going to get its measurement that way. It's going to quantify how much, uh, what the concentration is. And then lastly, we have our potassium electrode, which is considered a, um, a compensating electrode. So just as I said that this electrode is permeable to only ammonium ions, that's actually not true. The potassium, the potassium ion looks a lot like the ammonium ion. So it actually lets some of the potassium ions through this membrane. So it's gonna, over, uh, it's gonna overestimate the amount of ammonium if there's a lot of potassium in the water. But if we measure it, um, if we measure it at the same time, uh, if we can automatically compensate for how, much potassium, or for how much potassium is in the water by subtracting it from our ammonium me current me ammonium measurement. Okay, so uh, first thing I wanna talk about uh, with the ammonium is cleaning. Um, with a ammonium, uh, let's see here, here it is, my tap water. Uh, with a uh, variant sensor, uh, we're basically very mostly concerned with the actual face of the electrodes here. Um, so I have four or three, or four, one electrode in here currently, but I have three blind plugs. Um, so basically I just wanna keep the face of those electrodes clean so that the membrane can make contact with the actual water itself. So to do that, uh, again, no DI water, make sure that you're just using uh, tap water or process water. I'm gonna take my brush, I'm going to dip it in the water. I'm going to brush directly across the electrodes to get off any, yeah, to get off any uh, solids that might be building up on the end of the sensor. Of course, I can take my bottle of water and then spray all across the electrodes as well. But once that's done, you should be pretty good. You should be good to go um, on the measurement or on with the cleaning. All right, and again, I recommend to do that every, uh, every two to four weeks. Um, one thing that I would say and that a lot of our customers do, if they are, if they are doing ammonia-based aeration control with these sensors, they almost always use air cleaning attached with it. Um, air cleaning can, when, when, again, when I uh, say uh, 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 
automatic cleaning systems can help extend the times between manual cleanings. Well, air cleaning can extend from, you know, pulling it up to clean it every two to four weeks. You'd actually go probably even like up to four to five to six months without even pulling the sensor out of the water. So using air cleaning is a, uh, uh, is a great option, especially when a measurement as important as ammonium, which might even directly control your blowers, um, is being used right now. And we have another question. So I'll let Shannon go ahead and uh, let's see what we got. Um, so I have a question from Rich here. We were told by a local sales rep that we can't use water to clean, but instead should use process water. Is there any truth to that? Yeah. So um, yes, that's actually a very uh, common thing that I would recommend with most of our sensors. Um, uh, even with this particular sensor or this particular sensor here, um, when you are especially using electrodes, um, you are basically, it's sitting in, in the water, in the process water the entire time. And the way to mitigate some potential shocking issues, so basically taking it from one water to a different type of water very quickly, you could just clean it with the process water itself. So yes, I think that's a very good idea. Um, I especially say that with these sensors um, and probably the pH sensors as well. Um, so yeah, again, to reduce the amount of like shock that the sensor has going from uh, one type of water to like tap water and then going back to the process water to um, eliminate that, it is a good idea. Cool. Good question. All right. So um, cleaning. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the consumables. So these electrodes, just like the pH and ORP electrodes, um, have a lifespan. Um, their lifespan is about 12 to 24 months. Um, oftentimes, we can see these electrodes work to almost up to two years, um, but they are warranty for 12 months, which is actually really, really good. And one of the uh, one of the best uh, warranties in the industry for this sensor. Um, so with that said, because there is a lifespan to these sensors, I again recommend to not keep spares. Um, I would uh, rather um, recommend to have a yearly order and re replace all of them at the same time. And with how easy it is to replace these sensor these electrodes, you might as well do that um, because to, I'm going to demonstrate how to input your reference electrode and also your ammonium electrode. So first, starting off with the reference electrode here, um, this is a very long electrode in comparison to the other into the others. So there's actually only one place in these four ports where it will fit. And it, you will know which one it is because there is a, let's see if you guys can see it. Um, there's a little dot next to the, to the particular port where this goes. And obviously, if you try the other three, it's just not going to fit in. So you might as well, um, uh, you can't really mess that up. So first off, I have my variant tool here. This comes with every, every single sensor. Um, it is basically a socket wrench that fits perfectly around the uh, electrodes, but it also has a, a slip. So you can't like necessarily, uh, you can't like over tighten with these sensors or with, the, with this tool. Another thing that these electrodes, the outside of the electrodes, they're made of like a kind of a softer like type plastic. So if you use like a wrench to tighten these down, you're going to damage the outside of the electrodes. So always use this, never use a wrench. So I'm going to put this down onto the, uh, over the electrode or the blind plug actually. Unscrew it all the way. And then I can just remove that. I can take my reference electrode which I can take from its 
packaging. Unscrew it. That. Unscrew it from the other side, like this. And I can drop this electrode down into the um, down into the port. So one thing to note when screwing these electrodes in is that there is an O-ring just on the bottom here. Sometimes they like to get screwed uh, screwed down onto the actual uh, onto the actual threading of the electrode. And sometimes if you try to screw that in with the O-ring over the threading, it can damage it. And then you can also possibly get water into these ports. As I mentioned earlier. Um, if you have never, as I mentioned earlier, never put one of these uh, electrodes in the water that when it doesn't have an electrode in the spot or in the port. Uh, these ports are not uh, are not a need to stay dry. If water gets in there, it's going to ruin the electrical components um, and you're going to need to send that into service. That is also the same with our pH and ORP uh, sensor. So always make sure don't put a sensor into the water um, and let, if it doesn't have an electrode. So to install this, I'm gonna take my, um, and take my uh, reference electrode, I'm gonna take my screw or my varying tool and then just tighten it down. And again, I can't over tighten it. Now I'm gonna put in my ammonium electrode. These other three electrode spots don't, uh, don't have a particular spot. No matter where I put one of these electrodes in, it's going to automatically be recognized by the system over there. I'm going to unscrew my blind plug. I'm going to take my ammonium electrode from its packaging. I'm going to place it inside the port again, and then just screw it down. All right. And that is the installation of the, uh, of the varying electrodes. Okay, so last thing we're gonna talk about with this particular sensor is how to, how to calibrate this sensor. Um, with this type of sensor, uh, we have um, a, uh, a matching to a lab value, um, which is basically, called, it's called a matrix adjustment. So instead of having buffers like I would the pH sensor where I have to take it out, I have to put it, uh, immerse it in the solution and then it calibrates to that, we're actually going to keep the sensor in the process water and we're gonna take a grab sample to uh, tell the sensor what that, what that water is currently measuring. So to act as our process water, I actually have some ammonium standard here and we're gonna use that as our process water and we're going to calibrate the controller. We're gonna tell the controller um, what that value actually is. So installing my sensor on my little trusty thing here. Maybe. I'm gonna lower that into the process water. All right. So now that we, uh, whenever I would go to calibrate or to calibrate or do a matrix adjustment on a uh, on a varying amylid or nitrolyte, I would always clean the clean the sensor first, uh, put it back in the water, and let it uh, let it adjust back to the process water for about fifteen to twenty minutes. 
Then I would come around with my uh, grab sample um, or like a cup to like dip in the water to, um, to analyze the sample back at the lab. Um, so what I'm going to do is as I am uh, about to um, take my grab sample, I'm going to go over to the controller. And as you can see here, my uh, ammonium measurement has popped up and it's reading about 9.6. Um, but to perform a matrix adjustment, I want to press the C button after highlighting my ammonium measurement. And I have a drop down menu of several things I can do, but I do not want to choose calibration. We do have calibration standards, but we do not use that as the primary mode for calibrating this sensor. Always select matrix adjustment. It does a better job of um, of looking at the life of the electrodes over the course of the over the course of its life, um, and then it's also just easier to keep the keep the sensor in the water, and then just taking a grab sample and going back to the lab. So I'm going to press matrix adjustment. I have my two electrodes here: uh, variant A, which is my ammonium electrode, my variant K, which is my potassium electrode. I can choose which uh, matrix adjustment I want to do. Since I'm only doing the ammonium right now, I'm going to uncheck my potassium. And then I have another uh, box over here called zeroing. So whenever I install a brand new electrode, I need to zero it. That means have this checked. Um, the reason that is, is that we want to tell the controller that this is a brand new electrode. And then from the matrix adjustments down the road, I'm going to do one about every one to three months. Um, to make sure that it it knows or that it knows like what the value of the water is and how much it's drifting. Um, so every matrix adjustment that I do down the road, it will continually uh, assess the life of that electrode in either uh, in either once it gets to a certain point, it'll actually not even accept the value. Um, the, it will not even accept the matrix adjustment if it's drifted too far. So since this is the new electrode, I want to zero it. And I'm going to hi highlight my start button and press OK. So now it's going to get a reference voltage for the ammonium it's getting right now. And I'm going to want to go over to, as this is happening, I'm want to going to want to take my grab sample um, as I'm as close to the sensor as possible to make sure I get the best comparison. So I'm taking my grab sample uh, at, the at the same time and also in the same location. But again, usually it takes just uh, about 30 seconds. And we have a question. Um, so I'm going to have Shannon. Uh... Uh, how often should you calibrate the ammonia probe? So yeah, I realized that I briefly, <laughs> briefly missed that, but then caught back up to it. Um, you should calibrate or do a matrix adjustment about every one to three months. Um, I would recommend um, you could usually get away with three months um, in a in a normal in a normal application. Um, if you're if you're in a particular location where you're measuring very very low values, say below one milligram per liter, that's when I would suggest to um, potentially uh, do it every month um, to make sure that you're staying very very accurate. Okay, so it's it's done its job. Um, step one, reference voltage is saved. That's what I was just doing. Step two, what I was just mentioning, take grab sample and determine the ISE concentration in the lab for ammonium. 
So we'll take that grab sample, we'll go back to the lab, and we will get what the actual, get a lab value for that measurement, which is good because we actually, we should trust our lab values a lot. And step three, after determining ISC concentration in the lab, input the lab value via the C key. So when I press OK here, it's going to go back to um, it's going to go back to uh, the main screen. And when I press the C button again, it's going to ask for that value. So the cool thing about that is that however long it takes me to go get my ammonium value, whether it's 20 minutes, like I'm doing it right on the spot, or it's like days later, say I need to like send it into a lab to get that evaluated. Um, it will save that measurement until the next time I go to do this matrix adjustment. So let's say that the actual value came back from the lab and it was 10 milligrams per liter of ammonium. And right now we're reading five. So now I need to hi uh, highlight my measurement, press the C button and enter in my value. So I'm gonna highlight my 5.5 there and I'm gonna change that to 10. I want to accept the matrix adjustment and press accept. Press okay. And there we go. So we're pretty much back up around the nine to 10 value. Um, so uh, yeah, so the calibration worked. All right, so that is uh, everything we have today. Uh, we went through our FDO sensor. We went through our Sensolit pH and ORP sensor. We went through our um, we went through our varian amylet or nitrolit ISC sensors. Um, in the future webinars, we are or in the future webinars in this series. We are going to cover the rest of our sensors and analyzers, and also cover some how to uh, the proper ways to do a or to get a preventative maintenance schedule going. Um, so next, uh, probably at the beginning of next year, um, probably uh, beginning of 2023, be on the lookout for our next installment. Uh, we'll be doing TSS and turbidity, so the biosolid and visoturb. We'll be doing our UV sensors, so nitrate, nitrite, COD, BOD, TOC, UVT, 254, those, the, all the UV sensors. And then our IFL sludge level sensors, so the sludge level within your clarifiers. So I just want to thank everyone for coming. I hope you learned something. Um, I think these will be valuable videos that you can read. You can come back and watch anytime. Um, and I want to thank Justin and Shannon for doing a great job in uh, doing this live webinar. It's the first time we've ever done this. So it's actually, it's been uh, a lot of fun. And then, uh, yeah, if we have any more questions or if we have time for questions, we can, we can do that. Well, we're actually at a little bit over. So I just wanted to thank everyone for joining us today. We will follow up uh, with any questions that we didn't get to. Um, I hope you all found this webinar to be useful um, or helpful and that you learned something new today. Uh, keep an eye on your inbox over the next few days for a link to the recording, more information on how to get your CEUs for today's session. Um, and please take a few seconds to complete our post-webinar survey that will pop up after the webinar. Your, value, your feedback is valuable to us and it helps us determine future webinar topics. Thanks everyone and have a great day. Thanks,